This is DITV, Diversity and Inclusion Television, the news and information program that puts diversity and inclusion to work. This is a podcast version of DITV designed to unpack the sensitive, timeless issues that shape the way people think about diversity and inclusion, particularly in the workplace. So let our communication spark your conversation. I'm Todd Gibbs. And I'm Tracy Craig, Todd's co-host. And today we're discussing what everyone seems to be talking about. It's the rapid increase of intolerance. And rising intolerance affects everyone, every relationship, because difference is the fabric of American culture. It could be race or gender or sexual orientation. Or immigrant status, religion or economic status, anything that sets people apart or causes them to be lumped together. We're looking at this issue of intolerance, but through the lens of the white male, who is largely painted as the poster child for intolerance, viewed by many as challenged to embrace diverse cultures and ethnic groups. We'll unpack the thoughts and attitudes of the white male, the power broker in American society, to find out what he thinks about intolerance and how he might be the one treated unfairly after all. Listen to this clip from our DITV show on intolerance. This adds an interesting perspective. So often, for some reason, white men seem to be depicted in the media as as being anti-diversity and anti-inclusion, which is is a bias and is is not the case, in fact. So there's some common assumptions, whether spoken or unspoken, that present the white male as intolerant. So some people might believe that white males are against diversity or white men are uncomfortable with other races when they threaten their privilege. Or maybe even white males, when confronted with that intolerance of other white males, might say or do very little about it. Now, in reality, many white males feel the burden of explaining or apologizing for the intolerant attitudes of other white males who don't express their views. And many white males are frustrated and, frankly, tired of carrying that burden. That makes sense. I could understand that. Well, we have some individuals who've joined us in the studio today, and they can tell us firsthand. So how do you feel about those assumptions? Those are some pretty heavy biases. How would you respond to those characterizations? Yeah, hi. Uh, My name is Jim, and I'm here with my friend Don. And I'll get to the first part, and then I'll toss it to Don. And the first part is, you know, how, how how, how do we feel? I think we feel like anyone gets lumped into a category. It's not a pleasant thing. You know, assuming it's a negative bias, um, but you know, my I find myself oftentimes in this situation where I I don't do anything, and then I almost look back later and feel guilty. If, you know, maybe I should have done something. So, you know, I'm interested to hear Don your perspective on you know how do you feel getting lumped in in these categories, and then uh, you know what do you do? Is is it our responsibility to be the defender of every white man on the planet? I, I think white men are doing fine. Um, it's a tough needle to thread is kind of the trick. Um, if you try to make it too much about yourself, you end up kind of deflecting the conversation so that instead of being about the problems that the people are bringing up to you, um, you make it about, well, you know, pat me on the head because I'm not the guy who does this kind of thing. Mm. I'm not somebody like yeah. Alex Jones who screams and rants and raves and makes stuff up and slithered out of the bowels of the Internet. Um, you know, I'm not the person who does these things. Um, Whereas if you sit and listen, I mean, even if it's really uncomfortable, you can a lot of times learn more from other people's perspective, which you can then take back and help it to inform your worldview, which you can then 
possibly, instead of being a defender of white men, maybe try to redirect some of the people who are in your social circles who won't necessarily have the exposure to the more diverse folks that you speak with um, in their daily lives. But the most important part is not just listening, but kind of internalizing that and holding on to it so that when you see something come up, when there's a conversation among a more homogeneous group of white folks that, you know, somebody is saying, you know, you know, Black Lives Matter are terrorists or whatever, you have the opportunity to then step in and say, no, um, this is what's really going on. And you can then act as a champion because let's be honest, while it can be very uncomfortable being a white man in a world where we all know white men have caused a lot of problems, um, it also gives us eight or nine steps up in the game of life when it comes to a starting point. Mm -hmm. um, it automatically puts you in a position where no one's going to hold anything against you because of the way you look. No one's going to hold anything against you because of the way your name sounds. Um, so you can use that and use your platform to then speak to a lot of these issues that if it were coming from an African-American or a Latino or an Asian or you know any other person of color that other people wouldn't necessarily be willing to listen to because that's just an aggrieved individual who wants to kind of, you know, raise a bloody flag or something. So what we know based on this conversation is that these assumptions don't ring true for all white males. There are lots of guys who simply don't fit the assumptions. And so we've selected a story from one of our DITV programs that really will strike a nerve. Our recent In the News segment featured a story that shows the kind of violence that can easily result from unchecked intolerance. It also shows the kind of humanity that still lives in American culture. All three men are being hailed as heroes for trying to defend two Muslim women, one of whom was wearing a hijab. The attacker was hurling anti-Muslim slurs at the women while they rode a light rail train. Now, this incident has mobilized thousands in the diverse Portland community to stand up against this type of intolerance. This is a real-life tragedy, Todd, from Portland, Oregon. A tragedy, yes, but it shatters a powerful bias in our society that white males are the most intolerant of all. In this news story, they jumped to action quickly, and they fought for those non-white women. Sadly, those two men, they lost their lives. What a tragedy. We saw the same courage, though, in the face of horrible violence recently in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, you know, there weren't just white nationalists on the ground marching in Charlottesville. There were also lots of white males in those streets, and, and some suffered severe injuries just to stand up and speak out. So what about the intolerance towards white males in the workplace? Do white males confront the intolerance or lose their voice? Should they speak out against intolerance? I want to get Dr. Vanessa Weaver in on this conversation. Dr. Weaver is our DITV expert on these issues. What's your experience, Dr. Weaver, with white males when it comes to intolerance? Over my 25-year career, I've encountered some white males in the workplace who report that they've been impacted by intolerance dressed up as unconscious and implicit bias. I recall that one man told me, Sometimes I feel frustrated when I sit in a room and I hear what others think of me. There are so many assumptions about what I care about, except no one checks to see if any of it matches reality. I just sit there and listen, because no one asked. What are the messages that white males have shared with me about their experience with intolerance? One, 
that they often feel misunderstood by peers and their colleagues. Two, that they feel unsure how to process those feelings appropriately at work, and not only process those feelings, but figure out how to put voice to those feelings. Three, that they feel inadequate and often marginalized by that intolerance. And lastly, they feel disempowered. Well, from the conversation we just had, I think there's an opportunity here. There's a door to open in the workplace. Our diversity expert, Dr. Weaver, says it takes extra effort for some white males to express and own some of the frustration they feel from being categorized or lumped together with intolerant white males. During group discussions, if it's a diversity session, they're often silent. They avoid, shut down, or tune out. In our DITV show on intolerance, we had another powerful moment when a white male gave voice to his disappointment and frustration at work. This clip shines the light on how teams suffer when people feel misunderstood. Sometimes, white males on the team are misunderstood. The last corporate diversity meeting we had, um, it was, uh, you know, it was all about white men and, and have being in one type and uh, being anti-diversity and anti-inclusion, which is, which is not the case. And, you know, the thing that was a bit troubling is no one here kicked back on that, you know, and now that I think of it, I didn't even push back on that myself. So if the white males in the room aren't speaking up, who's speaking up for them? Don't they deserve a safe space to express their opinions about what people are thinking? Jim and Don, what would you have liked to see in the situation? If you were on this team, what could have been done to make you feel better in the situation? So a lot of the issue about what it is we can do has to fit into what we will do. Um, it's not enough to know that you need to do things. It's, an, it's more important that you actually address these things in your daily life. When a family member, you know, that, you know, drunk uncle that everybody always talks about who shows up at Thanksgiving says those horrible things, you need to challenge them on that. When a friend who you've known since high school, you know, brings up some sort of racist point, you need to challenge them on that. You need to make sure that you advocate for underprivileged populations to be able to have opportunities that they might not otherwise get. Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent point. I think um, I'll break mine down into two areas, personally and professionally. Uh, professionally is easy for me. It's been my life's work to have data over drama. Data has a way of cutting through the, the drama to say, here's, here's what the data really says. And oftentimes that can bring people on the same page, at least get them from the same starting point. Um, because you can't argue with, you know, with the data. Uh, and then personally, you know, I think it gets back to listening what, um, what I have to be careful of is not get into the win game, as you said, and right. then be cognizant in these discussions of my own, you know, defenses. Mm -hmm. And I think we get ourselves tr in trouble when all of a sudden we, we feel our bodies and brains getting into the fight or flight Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Syndrome. So, um, you know, maybe calmness and listening. And it can be really hard because it's hard. when you hear people say yeah, things and you, and you get your back up and you're like, that's yeah. not me. You have right, to, right. You have that's to take when that the <laughs> That's when it can, it can get bad quick at that oh, yeah. point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this, for illuminating a real issue here. There, there's a level of team accountability that was missing before. There definitely was. I've seen many companies beginning to think about these issues of diversity and inclusion in new ways. This includes shedding light on intolerance where it exists inside of their organizations. 
One of our DITV shows highlights an overwhelming commitment from executives who signed the CEO in Action for Diversity and Inclusion Pledge. There were over 500 CEOs who signed the pledge. Wow, that's a, uh, that's a poignant statement. The companies really need a larger commitment to address intolerance and stem bias in the workplace. There seems to be a wave of increased listening, a shift in corporate cultures that opens the door for more dialogue across teams. And it's important for white males to voice their thoughts on being misrepresented in the workplace. And articulate what they need to feel supported. And it's equally important for white males to expand their pushback against intolerance in the workplace when it impacts themselves and others. They can elevate their voices against intolerance by making it acceptable to call it out in the workplace. No matter your level or role, it is important that you stick your neck out and make it safe for other people to do the same. You shared an email, Dr. Weaver, from a DITV viewer that made this point so eloquently. I'll read it. Marginalized people can protest and show their outrage, and that's good, but that won't make institutional change. Only white men in power can do that. They have the power and the resources. If people see a need and call for a change, it's the executives in power who make it stick. Over 90% of corporate CEOs are white males. They are responsible for fueling culture change and making change stick. We often call it making it sustainable. They can start by exploring within themselves first the concept of privilege to understand how economic and social advantages shape biases and lead to intolerance. These revelations lead executives to rethink their corporate cultures and create safe new places where intolerance is not accepted. Companies like Procter & Gamble, Lockheed Martin, and others have developed training for white males to become full partners in driving more inclusive and diverse workplaces. It explores a role they must play as business leaders to drive conversations around diversity and inclusion. For example, Jeff Schomberger, who's a global sales executive at Procter & Gamble, had some personal revelations about becoming a more impactful leader after attending this type of training, and it reshaped thinking at the executive level. It became very clear to me that I was privileged. Now, I knew I was privileged because my mother and father always said to us how lucky we were as a family, you know, to grow up in a two-parent household, to grow up in an environment where our parents could send us to college and pay for it. So I knew I was lucky, but this concept of privilege made it so clear that I need to put myself in other people's shoes to really understand what they have to go through to get to work every day to perform at their peak. Wow, that was a great clip from one of the DITV sessions with corporate leaders. Even Jeff Schomberger better embraced his institutional role or his role in the corporate culture when he saw himself through the eyes of his employees. Then he could embrace the journey he'll have to take, the personal commitment to connect with his people on a much deeper level. But doesn't decreasing workplace intolerance require everyone to get on board? Yes, definitely. At DITV, we help all people engage in meaningful conversations about intolerance to understand their peers' perspective. If everyone understands each other and people feel like they can speak up, it can have a tsunami effect. Then everyone operates from a place of transparency and increased sensitivity. We have seen this reduce intolerance significantly in the workplace. And that's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. 
This is a podcast version of DITV designed to unpack the sensitive, timeless issues that shape the way people think about diversity and inclusion, particularly in the workplace. So thanks for letting our communication spark your conversation. I'm Todd Gibbs. And I'm Tracy Craig. 